Welcome everybody to the this week's episode of the Coin Gamma Show. Um, on the Coin Gamma Show, we we obviously are very focused on crypto and blockchain and making sure that we spread the knowledge of these platforms uh, to the masses. Um, but it's you know blockchain by itself is interesting, but not that interesting. It's really more about how it can be applied to various industries. And one of the industries that are, are that's very very uh, top of mind for many people for many reasons is the cannabis uh, and hemp industries. Um, and, you know, to be more specific, specific, why it's really top of mind to me, it's been top of mind, but even more so is um, we're recording this um, the day before election day in the U.S. I live in New Jersey and on the ballot was um, the opportunity to vote for, uh, you know, cannabis to be legalized in the state of New Jersey. Um, and then also through my travels, I've seen actually seen like dispensaries um, being put out there. Um, and I think it's interesting, I voted for it on, unfortunately, and we'll talk about this with the guests, I really wanted to see, I wanna see more legislation that combines the legalization of it, but also with the freeing of people that are locked up for it. Um, you know, and I, I, I kind of have, we, we'll, we'll get into that. But without further ado, I wanna talk a little bit about our guest. Our guest is an expert, somebody that you're gonna learn from, but I'm gonna learn from, so I was super, excited got to get into this conversation. Um, I have um, Dr. Rachel Knox, MD and MBA. Um, she has an illustrious background, um, you know, went to uh, Duke University, uh, went to Tufts as well, where she uh, got two degrees. And she's a certified cannabinoid med medicine specialist. It's a term that I just learned about uh, while <laughs> researching her. And she's going to illustrate and give us um, a lot into that. She has a uh, She's involved in a lot of things on the cannabis space from, you know, she has a business with her mother, which is super awesome in the space. She even is really involved in, with the legalization of it. Um, she's also involved with the, um, the inclusion of it amongst people of color, specifically black folks getting into the space. Um, and like, you know, just, they just, I'm a link to all the awesome materials that are online about her, uh, her work, her and her mother's work, et cetera. Um, but uh, Ms. Dr. Knox, thank you for spending, you know, taking time of your busy schedule to be on the Coin Gamma podcast. Um, first off, um, we'll get into your awesome background, but like yeah. explain cannabinoid medic medicine specialist. <laughs> yeah, right cannabinoid medicine. Cannabinology. Listen, I've had a lot of practice saying these words. <laughs> a lot of practice and everybody should look up my my TEDx talk just you know type in my name and, and cannabis into a google search or on on youtube and it'll come up and we we go through a practice round of, of pronouncing that word endocannabinoid together sure um, sure sure i'm gonna <laughs> we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes absolutely so cannabinoid medicine um you know it stems from cannabis medicine sure. so Cannabis has been used forever, as many people know, for all sorts of purposes. Um, it's one of the oldest substances. I mean, we can call it an herb. I guess we can also call it a vegetable or a fruit because of all its different components. Um, but it's been used throughout time, right, for agricultural purposes and medical purposes and spiritual purposes and social purposes. Sure. And um, it's it's the study of the plant, not in the United States, but in Israel, actually, in the 1960s, where you know we couldn't study this plant here because of prohibition. Okay. 
Sure. Um, uh, a biochemist named Raphael Mishulam isolated CBD and THC and CBG sure. um, between the years of six, 1963 and 64. And what that led to was ultimately the discovery of the endocannabinoid system within wow. all mammals, not just humans, all mammals, all animals except for the insect. Um, and so that that was actually discovered between the years of 1988 and 1995. Wow. The endocannabinoid system, which is the most important physiological system in our bodies. It controls all of our other systems. So like, you know, everybody's familiar with the cardiovascular system and the reproductive system. Well, the endocannabinoid system controls all of them, man manages all of them to keep wow. them in balance, to keep them working. And sure. lo and behold, this was discovered because of THC, right? Researchers wanted to know why THC worked or and how it worked. And so they sure. radio tagged a derivative of THC and it lit up a magnificent, magnificent receptor system within the brain. Um, and, and peripheral nervous system. And sure. that's what kicked off, right, the, 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 the race to discover what this system is. Now, so, so when, for people that, uh, so my, again, my, my, my understanding of, of, of cannabis is limited to the recreational space. And yeah. I know that, you know, edibles, usually they have like a THC kind of like score or component. And mm -hmm. obviously with the higher THC, is usually higher potent potency, but that's from a recreational recreational standpoint. Is that is that kind of the same thing, or is it? Yeah. Well, so this is this is the thing, right? So cannabis is has two regulatory non scientific regulatory designations, right? Hemp and marijuana. Sure. So cannabis is all of those things. Um, now marijuana, right? We've given it this arbitrary designation of having more than 0.3 percent THC. And yeah, the higher the percentage of THC, the more quote unquote potent or intoxicating that product might be. And it's, it's not just edibles, it's all of it. But what sure. people really need to recognize is that all of the flower in general and, and leaves um, are all medicinal, right? Inherently, right. that is a characteristic. THC right. is a medicinal substance. It's just that people like to enjoy it too. People like to socialize with it, they like to yeah. recreate with it, right. but it's inherently medicinal, 100% of the time. Sure, sure. You know, so, so as you know, an endocannabinologist, and, and really all that means is someone who studies the endocannabinoid system, kind of like a neurologist, somebody who's studied the uh, neurological system and understands how to apply medicines to that system, right, or sure. procedures. That's what we do. We study the function and dysfunction of the endocannabinoid system and all that modulates that, which makes us cannabis experts because cannabis is the most versatile tool we can use on this system to help bring sure. restoration and healing to the body. So cannabinoid medicine is it's just more it's broad, right? Not just cannabis, because we know other botanicals make cannabinoids and our own bodies make cannabinoids. Well, so we've had to understand how all cannabinoids, whether they're plant derived or human derived, can be, um, um, you know, used to help treat the endocannabinoid system, which the endocannabinoid system with it, when it's dysfunctional is at the root cause of many disease processes. I mean, super common ones, migraine headaches, um, mm -hmm. like pain, um, fibromyalgia, mm -hmm. even PTSD or true endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome. Wow, wow. 
You know, that's mm-hmm. that's monumental when you think about how we practice medicine today. Sure. Right. And sure. It, I think it's one of the reasons cannabis itself is one of the reasons that conventional doctors who have been Western trained are starting to want to learn more about plant medicine. Got it. Got it. And now, so, all right, understand. Thank you for that, that, that grounding. <laughs> and so what, how did you get into it? Obviously, um, well, I mean, your family's in it, so maybe that's how it was, but I see you have prior, you prior to entering this space a few years ago, it seems like you had more of a traditional um, arc to like a medicine career. Is this something that you always knew you wanted to got into, get into from like college or it was something that you, as the space started becoming more um, open, I guess, is something that you want to dig in? I, I would love to learn a bit more about your journey there. Yeah, so my my sister and I only applied to dual degree programs in medicine and business because um, for, for one, you know, we had parents who practiced in conventional medicine and, and they're recommendation was to do medicine differently. Sure. Um, but two, for me, I sort of already recognized that a, a medical career, like the American traditional medical career, wasn't going to prepare me to help people heal. Um, right, right. Because it's, so really more, I, I it's want, based on, it's based on, it's, it doesn't, it's not really good. From what I understand, it's not really good at preventative medicine. It's more not based at all. on treat, treatment. Even though we have a whole field called preventative medicine. No, it, it, it doesn't. And so, you know, Jess and I got, got into Tufts. It was the only dual degree program offered in a four-year time span. So right, we were right. both like, that's the one we're going with. Um, but we learned the business of medicine. Right. It was a it was an MBA in hospital administration because we're medical doctors. Sure. Um, so it's pretty niche. But we learned that medicine was big business. And of course. And our model today is really built um, with with a dependence on chronic disease. Right? right. This is a chronic disease management system. And they were training us to manage disease, not to heal. Right. right? And, 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 and the fact that we had to get an MBA to learn the business of medicine is problematic in and of itself, right? right? Every single medical doctor should be trained in the business of their profession. And right. we just aren't, right? Yeah, because they're, they're part of, you guys are part of the engine, right? Because obviously yeah. there's a reason the why, there's a reason why like uh, Pfizer and, and all the other folks are sending you gifts and samples and all type of stuff to help to push you to prescribe the stuff. You mm-hmm. have to understand that you're, you're helping their shareholder, their stockhold, stock price and shareholder value. And where you fit into that whole ecosystem, and yeah, exactly. you're right. A lot Most of, of us fit in blindly, exactly. Right. We right, we don't right. realize that. Um, and so, you know, it as as a medical student, I remember asking and attending uh, on my surgery surgery rotation. Uh, why don't we emphasize teaching patients how to live healthier lifestyles? Right. Why aren't we talking to them about how they're eating if at the end of the day, we're dealing with the consequence of lifestyle, right? right? And I was talking, we were seeing a bunch of cardiac patients and diabetic patients. And, you know, I knew even back then that the root cause of disease needed to be addressed to help people right. heal. And right. the response I got was, oh, you know, we don't have time for that. And patients aren't going to listen anyways. And, 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 and in reality, we're not, we're not taught that. But on the other right. hand, like that was such a flippant response. Right. Um, but I honestly didn't want to pursue a residency wow. at all because I was so disillusioned um, 
and it was upsetting. But, you know, with encouragement, I did find a uh, family medicine and integrative medicine residency program, which I, I was excited about because I finally could learn some integrative medicine practices, you know, Ayurveda and, and traditional or classic Chinese medicine or, or herbalism to a degree, right? Um, and I got a little bit of that in my residency training, but sure. while I was in residency, my parents had already started seeing cannabis patients uh-huh. in, in Portland, Oregon. And they were telling my sister and me about, about and that's, uh, is that your hometown? Their experiences. That you grew up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I was training in North Carolina, right? Okay. So, you know, yeah, very backwards <laughs> um, right. regarding cannabis, at least as you compare it to the West Coast at the time. But um, but they were discussing these exceptional experiences they were having with these patients who were teaching them on the one hand and on the other hand um you know demonstrating that people can restore quality of life people can get off prescription drugs with cannabis and that was amazing so honestly I, i finished my residency program in north carolina and came straight home and got into cannabis i was so curious um and wanted to learn more that's awesome and obviously portland and oregon is a ground zero um, for a lot of the movement in the U.S. So let's shift, mm-hmm. gear, yeah, let's shift gears. That's awesome. So like part of what you do is you're part of an organization called Doctors for Cannabis Regulation. And and mm-hmm. obviously my assumption is it's all about getting cannabis regulated um, throughout this country. And it seems to be like it's happening a little bit state by state, you know, uh, Oregon, Colorado. Um, yeah. Like I said, New Jersey is starting to have it. Um, there's probably a bunch of others that I don't, don't know about. So like, how, how has that been? Is that, are you like going to state by state canvassing or you call, call, are, you call are you like a lobbyist? <laughs> uh, you calling like no, politicians to make so, it happen? Like, yeah, I, I do a lot of things. So actually the first organization I joined, I'm still a board member of is Minority Cannabis Business Association. Okay. And it's uh, the only business link for people of color in our industry. Wow. And with that organization, I actually uh, got he- more heavily involved in in policy and regulation uh, consulting, right? Sure. Um, I served as their medical chair for a little while and we drafted a state model bill three years ago that states like Illinois um, have adopted, not in, not in, not in whole, um, but in part, especially with respect to equity. Um, and we wow. actually rewrote our bill this year, this summer, We the final draft isn't ready to reveal just yet, um, but it's a much more equity centric piece of legislation. So very excited about that. Um, I, I've been the chair of our Oregon Cannabis Commission for the past two years. I'm actually entering my fourth term on this commission oh, wow, in wow. 2021. Thank you. And then only more recently did I join the board of uh, Doctors for Cannabis Regulation. Um, and, and really I'm involved in all these areas because I recognize that the, the need for medical professionals to be a part of leading legalization and regulation, because what we have missed thus far is taking a science approach to legalization. Yeah. Um, even I mean, a business approach part, to legalization. The, yeah. Well, the pushback is, is bad for your health. It's bad for people. Right. So if you're a doctor, yeah, you lie, that it's, right? yeah, if, you're, mm-hmm. if you're a doctor, you said that's actually not true. And obviously, definitely. yeah, you could definitely, you definitely need to be at the forefront, at the front yeah. of it. Yeah. So like, what is, I guess, what are some of the, I mean, we just hit to that one, but what's some, what are some of the pushbacks that you're getting um, from, from um, states and state leaders? Like, what are some of the fights on the ground to kind of get this done that you've seen over the years? You know, it's, it's been very interesting, right? Um, I think 
prohibition has lasted this long because of the number, you know, both our government and quite frankly, our, our leading medical institutions uh, have continued to push, right? This illusion, it's, it's fake, but the, the lie that cannabis is harmful, that cannabis is fully addicting, that it is easily abused, that it like data actually does not support that. <laughs> um, right. And what a lot of people don't realize is that prohibition did not happen because of harms determined from cannabis. Right. Prohibition happened because ideologues and industrialists felt threatened by hemp, not even marijuana. Mm. They felt threatened by the utility of hemp that stood right. to disrupt paper and petrochemicals and um, uh, uh, what, what, uh, textiles. Right, right. right. Um, so they killed hemp, but also killed marijuana while doing it because they were able to use, um, will really play off the, the racist sentiments of the time, right? Mm. Black people smoked reefer, Mexicans right. smoked marijuana. So we're going to demonize these people while also demonizing the plant, which only helped, um, you know, national support for prohibition, right? right. Very sick, very sinister. And it's, so it's really ironic that now we're having to fight using the science that is, you know, undeniably positive <laughs> right. um, to decriminalize and deschedule and legalize with integrity and equitably so. But the people who are, who are um, writing laws and policies and regulations, they don't have that as a lens, right? They don't right. see the utility of legalizing so that we can stop weaponizing cannabis against people of color, they see dollar signs. They see right. an opportunity for tax revenue, which unfortunately also allows them to mismanage regulation. Like they're not even, they're not even designing regulatory frameworks that make sense from a business standpoint. Right, right, right. So to that point, so obviously you're, you're, you're helping minority uh, um, entrepreneurs in the space. And what are some of the things that, what are some of the, the ways that these things are legalized that kind of hurt folks of color from starting or anybody from starting? Like what are some of these bad? Well, uh, the reality is, right, the, the selective enforcement or over-policing in communities of color, right, through criminalizing the plant and therefore the people who use it has caused intergenerational marginalization and disinvestment, right? right. They've, they've taken breadwinners out of families. They've disrupted the nuclear family in our community. This is what the war on drugs has done. <laughs> right, right. To, to a large degree, like we could, it's not the only vehicle used to, um, you know, denigrate or other our communities, but it certainly is one of the biggest. And I like to say, because this is true, but I like to really hone in on the fact that this selective enforcement that disrupted our communities has caused the very uh, minority disparity health gap, right? Um, minority health disparity gap that we're, that COVID has even shown uh, you know, a starker light. Of course, on, of course. Right? Yeah, so right. this war on drugs has contributed to, has, has affected every single determinant of health and well-being in our communities. Um, so when we, when we do legalize and we create quote unquote social equity programs as though these regulatory frameworks shouldn't be inherently equitable in and of themselves, we actually continue to other people of color. Right. right. So because of the war on drugs and the intergenerational, you know, disinvestment, 
we have other issues that we have to, you know, uh, you know figure out. Like, how are where's our access to capital? How robust right. is that? Right, um, right, you're asking right, right. me to to obtain a lease or wholly own a property. Yeah, so that's before that's you award me a license. Yeah, to operate? yeah. Let's talk about that <laughs> one because I mean, all right, uh, sure. again, I, I, I'm not an expert, but what I've heard is that like you need to have like a million dollars in a bank to even start to even. Yeah. Get, so like yeah. I don't know, it's probably state to state, but let's talk about your state, uh, Oregon. So how, you, what, what are some of the rules, especially the Byzantine rules that kind of keeping people out? Like one million dollars up front. What what else is there? No, no, it's it's like so you have to have, uh, you have to have your real estate up front. Okay. And this is before you've even, be, even been approved, right? Sure. Um, and that's one of the biggest, the biggest hurdles. So um, real estate, real estate is, is like a place to grow it or is it a place to sell it or both? And all of it, right? So if you, de- depending on what you want to do, you might want to cultivate or you might want to process or you might want to retail. Um, all of those licenses require that you have land identified that you, or, or you have facilities identified and procured. So what that translates to is maybe I'm, you know, uh, leasing a space that I want to operate in, but I have to get that. I have to have that lease before I even apply. Right. And so while I, I've applied and while I'm waiting to be awarded that license, I'm still paying month wow. to month on this lease and I might not even get it. Yeah, I'm, not even get that license. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure not. It's not even that easy to even get a lease. You know, as far as some discrimination, no. it comes from a yes, landlord because you just say, "Hey, like, what do you want Price to use gouging? my property for? Yeah, what do you use my mm-hmm. property for? Oh, I'm using this to start a cannabis business. Oh yeah. It's like what? Yep, those are high, high, quote unquote, high risk leases. Oh yeah, and they do. They run up, run up the prices. And let's talk about the another thing that I've heard, and this kind of leads into like why. There's an issue. Well, I'm interested for many reasons, but the the crypto play or the crypto connection is interesting because, what I understand is you cannot get a bank account if you have a cannabis business because while it's legal in on the state level in some places, it's not legal on the federal level, and like banks right. operate on the federal level. Is that is that by and large yes, okay. yes. Um, a few people have, you know, have been able to secure banking, whether that's through a local credit union or otherwise, but it certainly has been case by case. And that's generally not, uh, not the experience of most people in the industry, right? It's a cash right. business. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And are the, are the black banks involved? I don't want to know. If they are, I do not know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but therein lies an opportunity, Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, so on the crypto side, what I've heard, at least from crypto people are that uh, that talk about this problem is that, you know, obviously being a cash-based business is very, very dangerous. And you can't, you yes. know, if you can't use bank accounts, then, you know, obviously using some like Bitcoin or something created just for this, maybe another coin, um, makes it interesting, right? Because obviously there's, there's a safe com- safety component. There's also a tracking component with the blockchain. Um, yep. and, and that's kind of like where there's, there's, there, there, there lies uh, a lot of opportunity. Actually, let's, oh let's go back. Let's, let's go back to one thing before you dig deeper into that. Yeah. So like I hinted at, so like, have you heard, and, and you, you, obviously you identified the fact the war on drugs was terrible, have been terrible for, um, for, for, um, people of color and you know, how that also affects the ability for people to even be positioned to enter into this, enter into mm-hmm. this, but like higher level. 
if you are, if it's legal in Colorado, but you have people in jail still from old weed charges from before it was legal, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like you, nope. you should, you automatically should free everybody from the minute yep. you made it legal, free everybody, right? So like- <laughs> For what, everybody. Is, is that, is what I'm saying like new? Like, is anybody talking about it or working on it? Yeah, or? I, I have to, I have to dig into the, de- I don't know the details. I know San Francisco though, um, they had planned, I don't know if it's executed to automatically expunge everyone with nonviolent marijuana crimes. Um, you know, unfortunately in Oregon, when you're arrested, for possession or, or, uh, you know, anything related to marijuana, they list it as a controlled substance. They don't list it as marijuana, which makes it really complicated to then go back and identify the folks who were arrested for marijuana as opposed to, you know, heroin. Right. Um, that data, that data exists, but most often not in an electronic form. Right. So it's not that it can't be done, but it is arduous and it is costly. Um, sure. But, you know, we we wrote a cannabis equity bill for Oregon that will be introduced in our long session in 2021. That's and it awesome. does include supporting automatic expungement. So we're saying it doesn't matter the cost it needs to be done. And so somebody's going to have to do the digging necessary to identify those that we can automatically expunge. Because right. it is it is co- costly to the person who wants an expungement too, by and large, in these states. Right. They have to pay, right. you know, something like $80. To some, that might not sound like a lot. To others, that is a lot, that is you a know, lot. in addition to lot. some other um, fees. Right, 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 right. That's, we, that's crazy. So Oregon passed a, passed a bill for expungement, and 200 out of 28,000 people who are who are otherwise eligible for expungement have been expunged to date. Two hundred of twenty eight thousand. That's crazy. Um, and that's inexcusable, right? While people are literally making like twenty twenty was Oregon's best year. Wow. By far. Wow. Um, this the, the state of Oregon has made a lot of money off of marijuana wow. sales this year. Um, so it is inexcusable that people are still in jail for cannabis today. That's crazy, that's crazy. Uh, hopefully we could find changes. So, all right, back to the blockchain. So obviously I, I kind of talked about like a very basic use case, like helping people kind of uh, use basically, since they can't transact. use it. Yeah, transact, mm-hmm. that's it, right? What, uh, have you heard uh, of, of that use case being thrown around or any other use cases? Yeah, there are a couple of can- cannabis coins. Yeah, out yeah. there. I don't know much about them. Um, and mo- mostly because, you know, my family has been wanting to leverage blockchain for more holistic purposes. Um, sure. One of those ways is through tracking and for transparency of the seed to sale pipeline. Mm, right. Mm, that's right. Um, or verifying equity applicants. Right. And, and in part helping equity, not only equity applicants, but regulators identify uh, those who are exploiting equity operators, right? Right. Um, So we can use blockchain for many other purposes other than currency and for like literal transaction. Um, Data is currency, right? Information is currency. Um, So what we hope to see in this space is a true 
uh, I call seed to solution or, or seed to outcome uh, use of blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. So people are on metric right now um, in the seed to sale pipeline and we can do better. We can right, do much right. better through blockchain right. technology and create yeah. really a decentralized open network that verifies, you know, the integrity of product that verifies ownership, um, that protects the end user, right? That that helps inform science and research. Absolutely. And and, and that's what blockchain can do for us. So we're very Absolutely. interested in all that it can do, not just Absolutely. like I said, transacting. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean those those. I mean, this is what blockchain, I mean, you know, blockchain, the technology is, I think it's, um, there's a lot of, uh, it's, it hasn't really reached its full potential. I'll be honest with you, most of the space is really focused on like, you know, um, basically betting uh, for which speculation, if you will. Um, I think this one right here is like, the timing's perfect. The use case is there. The fact that it's not supported by a traditional banking system and traditional tech um, mm-hmm. is also um, it, it's, it's the the marriage between the two spaces is is ripe. Um, so yeah, definitely. Like I love you know obviously you know I, I want to be a, help you be a resource, but I'm, I'm very excited about what you um, and your team are going to be able to do with it, um, and 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 how it's going to help you know our people actually get involved in the space because um, we just need we just need to be in it. Um, it just, we just, it just want to be right. It. <laughs> <laughs> it just want it just want to give it, give it all the suffering that our folks have had. Um, it just want to be right. Well, no. um, and, and we need to create our own spaces in this too. Cause I will tell you, you know, being in this industry so long, the, the equity programs that exist, they're very easily exploited. They're just not created, right? They're not developed with integrity or with what equity means. There certainly isn't a consistent definition of equity state to state. I mean, there is a stark between equity program in Oakland, California and LA, right? <laughs> right? Um, so social equity programming has been very uh, inconsistently applied and not protected right. at all. Right. Right. Um, right. So that tells me that we're gonna have to start creating our own space Absolutely. in this industry. Absolutely, absolutely. No, no, no. I, I, as that's makes a lot of sense, and um, I, I'm glad that there's people like you that are kind of thinking that direction, and really dedicating their careers to it. I mean, you from med school, you decided to jump into it. You could have definitely, uh, you know, probably, yeah. you probably could have pursued something that was more maybe lucrative at the time, and or something a little bit more straightforward. <laughs> yeah. And you wanted to job, job security was clearly the, the the least important factor for me. Right, right. Hey, listen, that's why. That's why. That's, well, that's why you're. I mean, you're from Portland, right? Well, you're from Oregon, I don't know if you're Portland, but you're. I was going to say. Yeah, I was from Portland. A, I was born you know, here. Yeah, so you're you're a trailblazer, uh, both literally and figuratively, <laughs> uh, for my basketball fans out there. Um, awesome. Well, Dr. Knox, I know you are very very busy. I really appreciate your time here. Um, is there if you if any parting words as far as like where where can people find out more about the awesome work that you've been doing, and what are some what are some places that they could kind of support your work? Well, definitely follow me on social. Um, so LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. It's, my handle is Rachel Doc Knox D O C Knox K N O X. So it's easy, Rachel Doc Knox. Um, our website is DrsKnox.com, and. Awesome. Please stay tuned for 
the launch of cannabis health equity movement. We have a, a teaser page right now. It's called thefutureischem.com. Or you could just type cannabis health equity movement into um, your, you know, your search bar and, and you'll find something on us. Um, but like I said, we have to create our own space and that's what we're doing through through chem, through through our movement. So I love it. I please love it. follow along, learn more, join <laughs> the movement, <laughs> you know, in whatever uh, in whatever way makes sense for you. There is, listen, I said it before, there is an opportunity for all of us to self-actualize um, through that's, cannabis. That's it. Self-actualize through cannabis. And we'll leave it with that. Um, uh, this, uh, that concludes our episode. And and I'll definitely link to all those in the show notes and, and definitely um, uh, definitely shout out to, to Dr. Knox and thank her for her time and continue to uh, follow the awesome work that she's doing.